the war in Ukraine has polarised the international community. As the East versus West power struggle intensifies, traditional alliances are put to the test. And as countries try to navigate the geopolitical dynamics, there is a lot at stake from regional security to financial stability and energy dependency. Before Russia invaded Ukraine, the EU sourced nearly half of its natural gas from Moscow, but that share declined sharply between the first and third quarters of the year. While most of Europe moves away from Russian goods, some EU countries are cementing their relations with Moscow. 80% of Hungary's oil and gas supply comes from Russia, and Budapest has taken out a $10 billion loan from a Russian state bank to pay a Russian company to build nuclear reactors. So will Hungary ever wean itself off Russian imports? And is it putting historic ties with the Kremlin ahead of its relationship with Europe? These are some of the questions we put to the Hungarian Foreign Minister. Peter Sciato talks to Al Jazeera. Hungarian Foreign Minister Peter Sciato, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. Uh, first of all, uh, what are you doing in Doha? Um, Germany, uh, not so long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, signed a 15-year deal with Qatar to supply natural gas to ensure its long-term energy security. Is that something that you, uh, Hungary, are looking to do? I'm meeting uh, my colleague, the Foreign Minister, Deputy Prime Minister, and then the Minister of Energy. And uh, with the both uh, colleagues, I have very important talks about the bilateral relationship on economic, financial, and energy side, of course. I was very happy when I learned about this uh, agreement between Germany and Qatar, because I do hope that uh, such kind of forms of practical cooperation will help to uh, put the um, Qatar-Europe cooperation on a more pragmatic basis. So instead of the constant lecturing and judgment on behalf of uh, some European friends toward Qatar, this relationship would be based on mutual respect and pragmatism and looking for the mutual uh, benefits. So I was very happy with the news. On the other hand, yes, definitely. Uh, we are looking for ways and means of diversification, no question. Uh, although I have to tell you that for us, unlike some other European countries, for us diversification means to be able to reach out to as many sources as it is just possible, on as many routes as it is just possible, and not that instead of one geographic direction we turn to the other one. So when it comes to diversification, we don't do it in order to be, get rid of the Russian energy sources, because the Russian energy sources play a very important role in our economy and our, in the operation of our country, but the more sources the better, the more uh, routes of delivery is, is the better. And uh, we look at Qatar as a very reliable partner, no question. And since there's an LNG port in our neighborhood in Croatia, where Hungary is the number one customer, so we have capacities uh, uh, booked there, it is a um, kind of a likely scenario uh, or a realistic scenario that once gas from Qatar would be added to our national energy mix. That is to our interest, definitely. Uh, is that something that we can expect to be announced in the near future? Well, I hope. I mean, uh, today, of course, uh, we have to lay down the political basis for this cooperation, but then the, um, the contract, the, uh, uh, the agreement uh, should be made uh, on a corporate uh, basis between uh, uh, the two uh, companies, uh, Qatar Energy and, uh, and our electricity uh, company, who is responsible for purchasing and distributing gas. So if the political foundations are there, 
then it definitely depends only on the corporate level. How important is it for Hungary to diversify its energy, where it gets its energy from? I mean, at the moment you're getting 80% of your energy needs from Russia. Yeah. I mean, how important is it to try and wean yourself off Russian oil and gas? I mean, look, look there are figures uh, which describe the situation, I think, very uh, thoroughly. Uh, we consume 11 billion cubic meters of gas on an annual basis, so gas plays a hugely important role in our national energy mix, out of which 85% is being imported, out of which 100% basically is being imported from Russia or from a Russian source. On the oil uh, side, 65% of our oil is being imported from Russia. So 85% and 65% of uh, share of, of, of imports, which means that uh, it's a huge dependency. On the other hand, I have to tell you that uh, we have positive experience. So both on the side of oil and on gas, uh, the Russian partners uh, have been reliable. Uh, so far, they have uh, delivered on time and according to contract. Even when we needed more gas during September and October in order to be able to pile up the uh, stocks uh, in our storages, then the Russians were helpful and have increased uh, the, uh, the daily uh, volume. So, I mean, they are predictable, they are reliable, but of course, from a national strategic perspective, diversification is extremely important. And when it comes to diversification, uh, then uh, it is being basically determined by physics, right? I mean, as long as you can deliver gas on pipeline, the pipeline infrastructure determines your situation. And uh, we are now working on uh, having access uh, to the LNG ports uh, in Greece and in Turkey uh, in order to be able to add additional sources to our national energy mix. Now, since investment, I mean infrastructural development, should be made outside of Hungary, that's why we are dependent on some other uh, actors uh, as well. Here we expect the European Union to step up and play an important role. Because if you, if you look at the Central European region, especially Hungary, we are basically in the middle, mm -hmm. in, the, in the middle of the, of, 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 of the land Europe. So meaning we are a landlocked country. And as a landlocked country, you cannot build an LNG port because you don't have seaside. So what you can do is to interconnect yourself with the most possible neighbors. We have done it with six of the seven. But what happens after? It's not your national authority. So that's why uh, we hope that the European Union will step up in a way that, um, that it will finance uh, upgrading the infrastructure around Hungary, which would make additional sources accessible for us, among them the Qatari gas. If it was at all possible to do it immediately, would you want to, you know, in light of the invasion of Ukraine, would you want to um, do away with uh, importing any more Russian oil and gas from, from tomorrow, if you could? No, I mean, you know, we have always looked at this issue from a pragmatic uh, perspective. And uh, we need the Russian energy sources. And there's no scenario for the upcoming decade that we would not need, because, simply because of the infrastructure. You cannot replace that big amount uh, of energy sources that we import from Russia entirely. And, you know, as long as we have a contract and that contract is being, um, you know, fulfilled, there's no real reason uh, to, um, to... But there is a war. Yeah, of they've, course. You know, they've invaded yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a one of your neighbours. Yeah, yeah, which uh, we definitely condemn. It's one thing to condemn the war, but it's another thing, you know, some of your critics have argued that Hungary is actually helping to fund Putin and help him pay for the war by still purchasing Russian oil and gas. What, what do you say to that? Look, um, if we ruin ourselves, 
then we will not be able to help Ukraine. And um, withdrawing from the contracts with Russia on energy supply would mean destroying the country. Because physically speaking, we cannot replace the Russian energy sources. So it's not Other about European countries have been able to do that. Yeah, so yeah, why, I mean, why, because they why have not Hungary? Yeah, because they have a different you know, geographic location mm -hmm. and different infrastructure. But if you look at the infrastructure around Hungary, it will be very obvious uh, for you that physically speaking, it is impossible to replace the Russian gas and oil. Why? Given oil, for example. Uh, Russia supplies us, Slovakia, and partly Czech Republic through the pipeline called Družba. Now, let's play with the uh, idea of cutting the deliveries on Družba. It, it means that you need another pipeline from somewhere else, right? There's one pipeline coming from the Adriatic Sea, uh, from Croatia, which has much less capacity than the uh, demand of Hungary, Slovakia, and partly Czech Republic. So what would it mean that if we phase the Russian uh, deliveries out, then we cannot operate the country. So, and if you cannot operate the country, you destroy your economy. There's no hope that you can help Ukraine. Look, now we have allocated 180 million uh, euros uh, to help Ukraine to maintain its um, operation. We have uh, hosted 1 million refugees so far. We have offered 1,000 scholarships for uh, young students from Ukraine. There are 1,225 schools in Hungary which have already enrolled uh, Ukrainian uh, refugees. So my question is how we could afford that if we couldn't operate the country? So you have to think uh, rationally uh, in this regard while definitely condemning the war, but putting into consideration that you, if you ruin yourself, you cannot help. You've said previously that you don't believe the EU and the West sanctions against Russia are working. Why do you think that and also what's the alternative? Look, I think we should uh, bring back the debate uh, to a basis of uh, reality and uh, common sense and look at the facts. Uh, after the war had broken out, we discussed the first package of sanctions at the end of February, beginning of March. And I remember the debate that time. The argumentation used by the European Commission and the expectations <coughs> attached to the sanctions was that uh, those will help to bring Russia on its knees, economically speaking, which will force Russia to stop the war. So the sanctions would help us to stop the war as soon as possible. Now, more than nine months, right? Nine months, mm -hmm. more than nine months have gone. Uh, we have applied uh, eight packages of uh, sanctions. Now the ninth is coming up and the war is more brutal than ever. And the negative impact of the sanctions are bigger on us, ourselves in Europe, than on Russia. Now, why would you continue a policy which is more uh, painful to you yourself compared to those against whom you wanted to uh, implement them? Just speak ab about the, speaking on the language of numbers regarding Hungary. Last year, uh, on a national level, we had to pay 7 billion euros for imported energy. 7 billion euros. Now this year we have to pay somewhere between 17 and 19 billion euros. And if everything continues as it looks like, next year our dues will uh, reach 29 billion euros. So from 7 through 17 to 29 billion, this is the impact. And, uh, and once again, if we ruin ourselves, if we lose the chance to keep our economies on a growing path, then my question is, who will finance the reconstruction of Ukraine? Who will finance the Ukrainian state 
uh, to be operational. So what's the alternative though? If sanctions aren't working, I mean you can condemn the war but you've got to take other steps, surely? Look, uh, if you look back to history, then uh, we see that uh, all wars have ended up by negotiations. So I think what is very important, and, and I'm happy that partly the German Chancellor and the French President is kind of on board in this regard, that we do have to talk to the Russians about, about you know, stopping, finishing the war. And I'm happy that both Chancellor Scholz and President Macron uh, are doing that from time to time. Because if we cut all the lines of communication, then we basically give up the hope uh, for peace. There will be no peace unless there are discussions. So I think discussion should be taken seriously, should be continuously made. Because if you look back um, uh, after the Crimea uh, issue, uh, the Minsk agreements mm -hmm. uh, have been established. And at least they have helped to uh, avoid the escalation, right? Uh, now, unfortunately, there's no Minsk process uh, anymore, uh, and, but there's a war. So I think that we should talk to the Russians very seriously. Now, I understand that Russians rather think that that U.S. should be around the table uh, as well. I agree. I agree. I definitely do agree. So I do think that the Americans should be involved uh, here in order to come to an agreement uh, which would bring the war to an end. Look, I'm living in Hungary. I, <coughs> I and we Hungarians have been faced with the really really terrible, uh, let's say, situations. One million uh, refugees arriving, 90% those are torn apart families mm -hmm. without fathers. So the mothers are bringing the children, sometimes the grandparents, you know. And it's heartbreaking to see that. Winter is coming. If there's no electricity in a country, if there's no proper heating system operational country, you can imagine the scope or the extent of the humanitarian catastrophe in this regard. So I think we Europeans, and the Americans as well, should concentrate on bringing this war to its end. Now, we are a small landlocked country in Central Europe, as I told you, so we have a limited leverage in this regard, to say the maximum. So I think that the big and strong countries should, uh, should bear the flag here. I also want to talk about Finland and Sweden. And, sure. you know, they have made it very clear that they want to join NATO as soon as possible. There's only two countries, Hungary and Turkey, that are holding out on them being able to do so. Why is Hungary holding out on allowing Finland and Sweden to join NATO? Look, our situation is uh, very uh, clear here. We have nothing against uh, them joining uh, NATO. There's no serious political force in Hungary which would be against uh, them uh, joining uh, our... Then why has it taken so yeah. long? I have already, I, I've discussed with them uh, just recently uh, on the margins of the Bucharest NATO foreign ministry and I told them that they should not uh, uh, be, uh, let's say, afraid. They should be relaxed because it will not depend on us, not even for one day, uh, for them to become NATO uh, members. What is happening is the following. I myself, uh, on, on, of course on behalf of the government, uh, has submitted uh, the draft to the parliament already in summer uh, to deal with the ratification uh, process. It would have been the case if Brussels, I mean European Commission, had not required us to uh, put forward 17 pieces of legislation quickly 
in order to address the expectations of the European Commission. You're talking about it, the corruption, yeah? Uh, when it comes to the European funds, right? Yes. So we have done it, and I, I, I told very clearly to my colleagues that now the Parliament made a clear decision to deal with that. We have we finished with that. Uh, the session is over. Uh, the, um, the next year's session will start in 15th of February, and on the first session, it's going to be on the agenda. And I think they have, they have accepted that. The Hungarian opposition parties have called the delay incomprehensible and unjustified. I mean, it's that's the job of opposition. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But but many other European countries have also said the same thing. Finland and Sweden. We did a talk to Al Jazeera with the president of of Finland about five or six weeks ago, and you could sense his frustration at the delay over this. So, what do, what do you say to him? I mean, they are also on the border of of uh, of Russia. Yeah. You know, they they are they are worried about a physical invasion. So. What do you say to him and, and the people of Finland and of Sweden yeah, look, I, I mean, about I, I, the delay? Yeah, I, const I constantly talk to the foreign ministers. Uh, my prime minister has talked over the phone to uh, the president mm -hmm. of uh, Finland. We made it very clear that we're not going to be the last one. They can be absolutely sure. So it does not depend on us whether they become members of NATO uh, or not. And th that was purely because of the uh, busy agenda of the parliament required by the European Commission. That was the only issue. I made, I made it very clear to them since we are done with the EU required issues. When we start in uh, February, it's going to be on the agenda of the first uh, meeting. And so you can pledge that today. That Sorry? The, uh, you can pledge today that it will be on the agenda oh, I already when made Parliament a, I starts. I already made a pledge to them when we uh, met in, in uh, Bucharest. And what is even more important than my pledge, my Prime Minister made it uh, very clear to the other Central European uh, partners very recently when they met. You know, we have a formation which is called the V4, that's Slovakia, Czech Republic, Poland and Hungary. Mm. A very important alliance. Just going back to, you, you mentioned negotiations yeah. and the US. I mean, how do you see these two sides coming together, or the three sides really, the US, Russia and Ukraine? Can you really see all three of them sitting down around a table in the near future? Maybe it's a dream, currently, or an illusion. But I think if you don't give a chance uh, to that, then uh, we're going to be on the wrong side of the history. So... Uh, you know, I so mean, how, how, yeah. what needs to happen for that to, to, to begin? Look, I think they should, they should give up uh, their willingness to stick to protocol, to show strength, whatever. Who, who, who's and they? Uh, who's, who, who are you talking about? I mean, I mean all of them. All, all three oh, yeah, of them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They, they should sit at the table. And, you know, I don't want to be a judge there. But what I know is that it's bad for the people. Thousands of people are dying. Tens or hundreds of thousands of people are freezing. Millions are fleeing. So, I mean, come on, it's time to, time to finish this. Do you see the, you know, the, the grain deal that was done with Turkey, the, uh, the prisoner swap um, recently? Does that give you any hope that, well, you know, the, I mean, they're, they're very they're small in terms of the scale of the war yeah. and what's happened in this war. But does that give you any hope? That yeah, sure. Uh, no question. And, uh, you know, I really, I really applaud uh, the efforts of Turkey because, I mean, so far, the only successful mediation uh, attempt has been completed uh, by Turkey. And the grain deal is a huge issue, I think. Because, don't forget, that the uh, lack of um, food and the scarcity of food uh, is, is another reason uh, for further illegal migratory waves to break out. And we in Hungary are in a very specific uh, geographic situation. Because we are neighbors to Ukraine from the east, so we have the million refugees coming from there. But from the south, we are having the external border of the European Union and the Schengen area. 
And this year, only this year, up to now, we had to stop 255,000 illegal migrants at our southern border. So, I mean, we are under double pressure. While we allow all the refugees to come in, as it is normal, uh, we stop all the illegal migrants, which is our obligation. So we have spent 1.6 billion euros uh, already to protect the border of ours, which is a European obligation. Although I have to tell you that the European Union reimburses only 1.2% of our costs, but I mean, anyhow, we, we protect the border. That's not a question. Uh, but I mean, that border of ours is under, <coughs> is under siege because uh, the migrants, and especially the traffickers, are using guns, weapons on our uh, policemen. So it's a totally new dimension of aggression and violence which takes place at our southern border. And, and if, uh, if those regions of the world which are kind of easier to be destabilized uh, don't get enough food, uh, then, then these migratory waves will be even, uh, even tougher. Just on, I mean, th there's been a lot made of the way that Hungary deals with the Ukrainian refugees as opposed to others who are coming through your southern border. Can you explain why you treat them differently? Yeah. Why you throw your arms open and welcome the Ukrainian refugees while spending $1.2 billion, was it, on, on defending... $1.6 yeah. $1. billion yeah. on defending your southern border? Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very simple. International <coughs> law speaks very clearly. If uh, you are forced to leave your home, if you have to escape, uh, then you are entitled to stay on the territory of the first safe country. You must be allowed to enter the first territory of the first safe country, and you must be allowed to stay there. For Ukrainians, we are the first safe country, because we are neighbors. Uh, but for those who are coming from the south, they had to cross at least six, seven, eight, ten safe countries. And they have no right to violate border between two peaceful countries. So international law does not entitle anyone to pick a country where he or she would like to live. And in order to get there, you just you know, violate the borders. And, and that happens. So I mean, Serbia is a peaceful and safe country. There can be no explanation and no reason and no excuse for anyone to violate that border between Serbia and Hungary. That's a very simple reason. OK. You've, a million refugees have come from Ukraine. Yeah. You've spoken about what Hungary is doing to help them and support them. What happens when the war is over? It's obviously costing your country a lot of money to care for them. Are you going to keep caring for them? Are they going to be able to stay there for, you know, and set up their lives there in the long term? Well, we have a very clear uh, position on that. They can stay as long as they want, regardless whether the war is over or not. So as long as they want, they can stay there. They have equal access uh, to health care and to uh, the labor market and to uh, education equally to the Hungarian citizens. So uh, we even give incentive to the employers to employ refugees. And as I told you, more than 1,200 schools have already enrolled uh, the Ukrainian um, uh, refugee kids and students. OK, just, just finally, obviously we're heading into the depths of winter in Europe. How do you see the next three or four months playing out uh, in terms of the war? Is it just going to be... Uh, is it just going to continue to get worse? Are the two sides, just Ukraine and Russia, just going to continue to butt heads in the east? Look, if, um, if the war is not being stopped in the upcoming couple, but when I say couple, I say limited number of weeks, then there's going to be a huge tragedy and, uh, and a very serious uh, humanitarian catastrophe. Because the winter is going to be harsh. Uh, it's not like here, of course. Uh, and, um, and, and, and if you don't have electricity, don't have heating during a harsh winter, you can imagine the outcome. 
and, uh, and, and we, should not, we should not wait for that. So I mean, the war has to be stopped. And, and when it comes to Europe and when it comes to winter, you know, this winter is going to be kind of okay from the perspective of energy supply in Europe. But the, but the real challenge will be the next winter. And I tell you why, because by spring, uh, when we will have to start to uh, rebuild our stocks in the, uh, in the gas storages, uh, there will be no Russian gas at disposal with some ex exceptions, for example, Hungary. But generally speaking, Europe, there will be no real big quantity of Russian gas. And just knowing the figures that Europe used to consume 170 billion cubic meters of Russian gas, and having known the volume of alternative sources and especially the incoming capacities to Europe, uh, there's not a balance situation there. So I don't know how it's going to take place. Experts warn on that as well. Uh, of course, stopping the war would help there as well, uh, of course. So. I could list you thousands of reasons of why the war should be stopped. Yeah? yeah. I mean, you're painting a pretty grim picture. Do you have hold out any hope that things are going to get better or they're going to get much, much worse um, over the next 12 months or so? No, sure. I mean, we have to keep the hope alive. Otherwise, uh, otherwise I mean, if we give up the hope, then, then it's over. So uh, we, have to, uh, we have to maintain the hope. And I, that's why I hope it's encouraging when I listen to the news and hear that American and Russian intelligence leaders uh, talk to each other, meet on a regular basis. That's a good basis and a good start. But what I think is that the political leaders of them uh, should talk to each other. And if they don't do it, then, uh, then it's, it's, it's going to be really bad. Of course. Uh, Peter Sciato, Foreign Minister of Hungary, thank you so much uh, for talking to Al Jazeera. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.